Well, good morning. I want to start out by saying, first of all, that I do know the difference between the NFL and the NBA. <laughs> In case you were wondering by my t-shirt. But I wore it because I think it ties into the message that I have today called, Just Do It. In a survey conducted in January of last year, Just Do It was named the second most uh, famous, second greatest slogan of all time. And it was adopted at a time when Nike was trailing Reebok. I know you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and that so shows you how successful this campaign was. Um, the ads that they ran rarely focused on the product, but on the person wearing the product. It was a tough, take-no-prisoners ad campaign that practically sh uh, shamed people into exercising. And when they exercise, they should be exercising in Nikes. They targeted everyone regardless of age or fitness level. Let me just tell you that my sorority colors are pink and green. So somewhere in my parents' attic is a pair of pink, leather, high-top Nike shoes. <laughs> and I wore them proudly. And I remember seeing babies. People were going out and buying Nikes and Air Jordans for their babies who couldn't even walk. It made no sense. But you just wanted to be a part of what was going on. You wanted to be identified with Nike. And so this campaign was so successful for Nike that prior to that time, uh, their worldwide, worldwide sales were $877 million. In the 10 years that this campaign ran from 1988 to 1998, they became a billion-dollar industry, $9.8 million in 10 years. So it was extremely successful. So when Drew and I were talking about this series on discerning the will of God, and we came to this particular message, it was the absolute appropriate thing for me to entitle it, Just Do It. Like Nike, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, young or old, fit or unfit, male or female. There was only one response to the call to do the will of God, and that is just do it. And I also thought about who is a person for me that exemplifies some of the things that you face when you do the will of God. And for me, Gideon immediately came to mind. So that's what we're going to look at today. So would you stand with me? We're going to read a few verses of Judges chapter 6. It's in your pew Bible on page 194, and it'll be on the screen. And we're going to start at verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, the second bull, Baal, I'm sorry, the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, and cut down the sacred pole that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, in proper order. Then take the second bull, 
and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the sacred pole that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the townspeople to do it by day, he did it by night. When the townspeople rose early in the morning, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the sacred pole beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this? After searching and inquiring, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Then the townspeople said to Joash, bring out your son so that he may die, for he has pulled down the altar of Baal and cut down the sacred pole beside it. But Joash said to all who were arrayed against him, will you contend for Baal? Or will you defend his cause? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been pulled down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he pulled down his altar. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together, Father, to hear what you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that our time today will not be wasted, but, Lord, we would focus and listen to what you are speaking to each one of us, Lord. And we pray, Father, that as we leave this place today, we will be even more empowered to follow you and to do what you are calling us, each of us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So before we get to those verses, let me give you a little background uh, on what's going on here. If you know anything about Israel, you know that they had a somewhat inconsistent relationship with God. They would find themselves in trouble. They would then cry out to God and ask him to help help them. He would help them, deliver them, set them straight, only to find out sometime later they'd be back in the same situation crying out to God again. And this happened over and over and over again. And so as we look at chapter 6 in Judges, that's where we are. There have been 40 years of peace, and now here they are being oppressed by an enemy called the Midianites. So what would happen is every time they would sow their crops, the Midianites would come up and a few other people with them, and they would be like number, innumerous, without number. And they would cover the land. And their sole purpose was to destroy the land and leave nothing for the Israelites. It even says that their camel were without number. They were like locusts, recalling the Old Testament locusts and plagues of the locusts back in Exodus. So this was going on with the Israelites. This has been going on for seven years. And we find Gideon in the wine press, threshing wheat. Now, the wine press is where you press grapes out to um, make wine. And so because he didn't want anyone to see him there, he didn't want the Midianites to see him doing that and come and take what he had, he decided to do it in the wine press because 
Where he would normally do the wheat, it would be outside because you want to throw it up and let the wind take away the excess so you'd have the, the grain. So he's in this place, he's threshing wheat, and in the midst of all that, this angel comes to him and he says, God is with you, you mighty warrior. And you know how it is when somebody says something to you, gives you a compliment, and it might be something that you don't really yet buy into for yourself, so you just kind of brush it off and move on to another subject. It's kind of what Gideon did. And so instead of acknowledging what the angel of the Lord had said to him, he responded by saying, you know, well, if that's the case, if, the, if God is with us, why is all this going on? Where are all the miracles that I heard about from my forefathers? The angel was very smart, as God often is. <laughs> and he just replied the same thing. God is with you. And you will do wondrous things for him. Gideon still wasn't quite buying into it. So then he said, My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least among them. And sometimes we feel like that. We feel like we're the last person that God will call to do his work. There's so many other people that we see as more qualified, more capable of doing what God is calling us to do. And that's what Gideon was saying. And it reminded me of Moses, how when God called Moses, Moses kept protesting to what God was saying to him. And he said, you know, I'm slow of speech. But that didn't get him off the hook. God still had a plan to use Moses. And so, finally it seemed, after the angel of the Lord reassured him again, that Gideon began to wonder if maybe this really was true. So at that point he says to the angel, well, wait, if this is you, wait a minute, let me go and prepare an offering and come back. So sure enough, he went and prepared an offering and brought it back to the angel and followed some instructions the angel gave him and put that meat down, poured out the broth, and then the angel stuck out his staff and fire came out of this rock and consumed the sacrifice. Then he was scared. He said, oh no, I'm going to die because I've seen the Lord face to face. And the angel of the Lord said, no, you won't die. It's okay. At that point, uh, Gideon built an altar to the Lord. And that's where we pick up in verse 25. So in verse 25, this is the night of that same day that Gideon had the encounter with the angel. And as we read a few minutes ago, Gideon was told to take his father's bull, tear down his father's altar to Baal, tear down the wooden uh, pole next to it, uh, build an altar to God, offer his father's bull on the fire, which would be kindled by his father's wooden pole. I don't know about you, but I see some problems coming up with that. You know, I go home and my mom has, you know, they call them honeydew products. My, my mom has daughter-dew projects. And uh, she has her list that she keeps until I come home. And one of those things she likes to do is kind of go through stuff and get rid of stuff, supposedly, right? 
So we pull out the boxes or the things out of the closet, and we go through them. And I'm like, okay, well, this can go, and this can go. She's like, no, 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 that's good stuff. You can't get rid of that. And I'm thinking, well, it's been here 25 years. We haven't even seen it. You know, I don't think there's really a purpose for it. And we get into a dialogue. And you can guess who wins the dialogue. When it comes to my stuff that's in her house, she's all too willing to get rid of that. But don't touch her stuff. So when I think about Gideon getting ready to tear down his father's idol, that's a much more serious thing. So I want to talk to you about four points that I see in this exchange between Gideon and his family, between Gideon and the angel of the Lord and what this would mean for his life. Point number one is that doing the will of God may often call for swift action. Doing the will of God may often call for swift action. On the very same day, that night, that Gideon had had that experience with the angel of the Lord, he was called into service. There was no time to have a meeting about it, uh, to conduct a survey, to do a study on the will of God, or to wait to Wednesday night prayer and have somebody pray over me. It was just time to do it. And sometimes that's what God does with us. He has spoken something so clearly to you it is beyond the shadow of a doubt, and he will call you to act upon it just like that. And that's what Gideon was calling, called to do. And like I talked about a minute ago, all these things that Gideon was tearing down and sacrificing didn't even belong to him. You know, your parents are quick to tell you that their stuff is their stuff and you don't own anything. So he's taking his father's stuff to tear down and destroy his father's stuff. So that brings me to point two. Doing the will of God may cause you to have to go against the norm. Doing the will of God may cause you to have to go against the norm. Right off the bat, Gideon is, Gideon is called to confront the community decision to worship Baal. You see, a choice to follow God was against the choice to follow Baal. And God wanted to make that point clear right off the bat. If Gideon was going to do God's will, his alliance with God needed to be made clear to everybody. You cannot serve two masters. So in choosing uh, to tear down these altars and to follow God, Gideon is choosing to stand up to his father, his family, and his community. That's not an easy thing to do. On top of that, the idol belonged to his father, which means his father would have been responsible for maintaining it and keeping it. How do you think people felt when they found out his son, Joash's son, was the one responsible for destroying their idol. That would not go well for either of them. And then another thing is that bulls were often associated with worship of Baal. 
So in a sense, what Gideon may have been doing is taking something that had already been set aside for a later sacrifice to Baal, but instead offering it to God. He was breaking all of the rules, standing up to everybody and everything. Tough thing to do. If you were Gideon, what would you have done? Do you have the courage and the trust in God to stand up when everyone else is bending? Something to think about. Point number three, doing the will of God may mean acting in spite of your fears. Doing the will of God may mean acting in spite of your fears. It's pretty clear from the very beginning that Gideon doesn't have a huge amount of self-confidence. But when God calls him, to some degree, he's able to put that on the back burner and move forward. But be sure, he was not clueless. He knew what this decision meant. He knew that tearing down his father's altar would put him in danger. But he did it. Some time ago, I was reading this passage, and as I was looking at it this time, uh, I came to a point, I think it was at the end of verse 27, and I had written in my Bible, do it afraid. Do it afraid. Because there's sometimes that God is calling you to do something and the fear just doesn't go away. It just doesn't. And the thing about fear is that it can never be an excuse for not doing the will of God. You see, once you take a step of obedience to God, you are poised to make another step and another step and another step. But once you take a step of disobedience, you are poised to take another step and another step and another step and another step. And you'll look up one day and you'll wonder how how did I miss God? How did I end up here? It all happened with one decision. See, John, um, Gideon didn't know. I was thinking about Jonah, too, because he made the decision not to do where God, what God told him to do and went where he wanted to go. And we know where that got him. Um, but Gideon didn't know what God's full plan was. He didn't know that there were other things that God wanted him to do. He knew that God was calling him to, to uh, save his people. But he didn't know that all of that hinged on making that first decision to follow God, despite of his, his fear. And I, I really like the fact that he chose not to let his fears define his future. 
He chose not to let his fears define his future. Point number four, doing the will of God means trusting him with the outcome. Doing the will of God means trusting God for whatever happens as a consequence of following what he leads you to do. Gideon didn't know what would happen to him after he tore down that altar. But these men wanted to kill him. And I find it interesting that on that next morning, Gideon's not saying anything. Would you? I'd be standing there looking at my fingernails. <laughs> what was going through his mind? Because, you know, the first thing that happens when we um, make a decision and things don't turn out the way that we thought they would, we start to question, I must have missed God. Okay, so maybe that thing, that's yesterday, that was a dream. That really didn't really happen. And I just, temporary insanity just, just left me. My mind left me. I don't know what he was thinking. But I do know this. It's never a mistake to follow the will of God. There may be consequences that you don't foresee, but it's never a mistake. I think a lot about my decision, okay, my couple decisions to go back to school. And uh, every time I made a decision to go back to school, I got some not so supportive commentary. Um, the first time I was working, living in Wisconsin, and my parents thought, you're gonna leave your career and go back to school, and you know, da da da, you know, the whole thing, they just didn't. I think it was a wise decision. But after the fact, they were like, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, when I decided to go back to school to go to seminary, really felt very clearly that it was what God was calling me to do. Same thing, you know, people were concerned that, you know, I would leave my musical career behind and, and not continue to focus on that. And, just didn't, didn't know that this was the right decision for me. There were some financial, you know, commitments that you had to make to do that. And, you know, it was a big, it was a big decision. But I can tell you I don't regret it. Haven't regretted it not one day, not one hour, not one moment. And that's a little decision, I think, when I think about the things that Gideon had to do. Literally putting his life on the line. And you and I will probably never be called to do that. Or maybe we will. We don't know. There are people who do it every single day. The question really is, what will you do when God calls you? What will you do when he asks you to do something that you really don't want to do? that you don't feel capable of doing, that has some significant cost to you? Will you do it? I can't help but think about um, 
there's a, a phrase that I really like. And it's attributed to Philip Henry, who was the father of Matthew Henry, who was a famous biblical commentator. And it's also attributed to a version of it to um, Jim Elliot, who was the husband of Elizabeth Elliot, and he was slain along with a few other men when they were ministering to the Alka Indians. And that phrase is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, we think that somehow these are our lives. We forget that these are God's lives. He created them. And when you surrender your life to God, you surrender all of it to him. You can't decide, I'll go this far and no further. Well, you can. Wouldn't recommend it. And there's another quote that came to my mind. And particularly on today, this is the first Sunday in African American History Month. So, of course, my mind went to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., whose life was so pivotal in the, in the history of this country. And he had to know, you read what he wrote in some of these sermons and speeches, and you, you know that he knew what the decisions that he was making might cost him. And one of his quaint, famous quotes says that, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. That was the marker for his life. Is that the marker for your life? When you decide what you're going to do and not going to do, are you going to decide that no matter what, no matter the cost, you're going to do God's will? Are you going to follow where God sends you and do what God calls you to do? If there's one thing that I learned from the life of Gideon and I would like you to take with you today is once you know God's will, just do it. Once he has made it clear to you what his will is for your life, don't waver, don't flinch, just do it. And regardless of what the outcome may be, who you have to stand up to, who may leave you, what it may cost you, you only have one answer. Say it with me. Just do it. Amen.